you would open your Bibles to the book of James. This uh, year I have periodically presented lessons from this New Testament epistle. I don't know if I've said it or not, but my plan was to preach through James this year. If I make it through this year, that's okay. If I don't, I'll just continue. But uh, periodically, just go back to the book of James. The last time we studied, we were in chapter 3, and we finished up that chapter. Uh, we talked about the wisdom of the world uh, versus the wisdom from above, if that helps you to remember what that discussion was about. But we're going to be looking at a section today that begins in verse 1 of chapter 4 and continues through verse 10 of the same chapter. And there's a statement that James makes in this chapter, which is one that is a bit difficult to grasp, not so much in terms of understanding it, but just asking specifically, how does this look in my life? And, and the statement is the one that's found in chapter 4 and verse 4, the phrase, friendship with the world. He states, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Well, obviously, what he's addressing here is something that isn't good. If it brings me into a position of hostility with God, the word friendship, on the other hand, is a good word. Normally, when we think of friends, that brings positive thoughts into our minds. We want good friends. We want friendships. We want to be a friend to others. So that's a good word. But it's a good word that's used here by James in reference to a not-so-good thing that we might do in our lives. What does friendship with the world look like? What does it look like in my life? Maybe I shouldn't be so concerned about what it looks like in your life as I am what it looks like in my life. But I know it's something that I need to be concerned about because James says it's hostility toward God. He also says in that same verse, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I think hostility toward God is bad enough, but that language is even more severe. Not only if I'm a friend of the world am I hostile toward God, but I'm actually an enemy of God. So, again, this is something that should be of concern to all of us because of the severity of the language. Now, there's another word he uses here, and that's the word adulteresses that we need to think about. Uh, James was, many scholars believe, the author of this letter, many scholars believe, was the Lord's brother. He, he, he came from a Jewish background, so he would have been familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And you can see that as you read and study through this book. But why use the word adulterous? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you, you see that, that God chose the nation of Israel to be his covenant people. And God pictures himself in the books of prophecy as being the husband and the nation of Israel being the wife. And they became unfaithful to God. And it was because of that unfaithfulness that God allowed them to be punished or judged by enemy nations. 
So they became unfaithful to God in that, as the wife, they went after other gods. They worshipped pagan idols. They displaced the true God with false gods. They became friends with the world. You remember how God told the, the Jews when they went into the promised land that they were to put all the enemy nations to death. And he identified those nations and he said, when you get there, I want you to put all, put all of them to death. There's not to be one remaining alive. But the Jews didn't do that. Now, when you would have looked at those people, they, they weren't all walking around wearing devil suits. They were just normal citizens that happened to worship pagan gods, false religion. But when you looked at them and when you talked to them, they probably weren't that different from other people. The Jews could have went in and they could have sat down and they could have talked about world events. Maybe they could have talked about their local sports team if that was an issue. They could have had those conversations. But they allowed themselves to become friends with the pagans. It's a lot more difficult to kill a friend than it is to kill an enemy. So in time, they not only became friends with the world of their day, but they began to act like the world around them. They didn't go into the land of promise expecting or believing or planning to become pagans. And yet that's the very thing that happened to them because of the influence of the world. And that's why James used that word, adulteresses. Let's take some time now to look at this passage. What, friendship with the world. What do we need to think about? Well, I think we need to think first about the symptoms. If you look at James, if you have your Bibles open in James chapter 4, you'll notice beginning he asked the question, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members. Now we see here both causes and symptoms. A symptom, quarrels and conflicts. Source, pleasure. Cause, pleasures that wage war in your members. Now let me say this. If this, this is one of those passages that we, we like to take it into our, our, our junior high, our senior high class, our young adult class, and we say, here's an issue that you need to be concerned about. That is friendship with the world. You need to think about the people you spend time with. You need to think about what's important to you. Let me tell you something. James wasn't writing to the youth group. He was writing to adult Christians. So the symptoms of friendship with the world could vary. Now when you get to be an adult, it's not that you're out here and you're doing things that you would do if you were worldly as a teenager. Your worldliness is different. And in this case, it was quarrels and conflicts. Now it could be seen in other ways. If you go back to chapter 3, the section we studied some time ago, you'll notice in verse 14, 
he states, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So another symptom of friendship with the world, becoming like the world, is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. That doesn't sound like someone who is more concerned about others than about self. So there is another symptom of this issue of spiritual adultery or friendship with the world that puts us in a position of hostility toward God. He then states in verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. So the world of which James is writing here is not the creation as far as the trees and the birds and the the seas, it's this mass of humanity that is under the influence of Satan and that stands in opposition to the plan and the purpose of God. It's not a reference to everybody who's running around wearing a devil suit. I got to come up with a better, better illustration. But you see my point, it's, it's people who look just like you and I for the most part, they go to work. They may even be good citizens. They may be law-abiding citizens. They're, they're not the ones who are burning down cities. They're, these are good people. Just like the people who were worshiping the pagan idols that the Israelites were exposed to when they went into the promised land, they weren't necessarily bad people. But they were irreligious people insofar as true religion. And that's what we find ourselves exposed to in the world. But there is this body of wisdom that comes not from above, but from the earth. It's natural. It's demonic. That will produce worldliness within us. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Again, these are symptoms of worldliness. But there are other symptoms. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you'll notice when Paul is writing about, he's writing about relationships. And, and he's writing about the importance of, of children of God thinking about those with whom they have to do. Not just in terms of going to the store, sitting by them at the ball game, going to work where there are people who are obviously not going to think the same way you think about spiritual things or have the same spiritual values that you have, but going deeper in the relationships. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And then he asks the question, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? As a child of God, as one who is in covenant fellowship with God, you are a child of light. Light is to characterize who you are, and you can't allow yourself to be continuously exposed to the darkness and expect not to be influenced by it. The people you associate with are going to affect the way you think. Going deeper and deeper into those relationships with unbelievers raises the question, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? 
Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Do you enjoy spending time more with unbelievers than you do with believers? If that's the case, would you not agree with me that you have an issue with friendship with the world? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, look at verse 17. Come out from their midst and be separate. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Come out from their midst and be separate. It is a symptom of friendship with the world if I'm not doing that. Keeping some distance between myself and the world. I have to work with them. I have to participate with them in certain regards. But there comes a point at time, in time, there comes a point at which the relationship has gone too far. The relationships now are starting to influence how I think as a child of God. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. If you touch what is unclean, then that's an act of hostility toward God. I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, but only, only, if you avoid these influences that can draw you away. You take a step in the wrong direction, ultimately, you're going to go in the wrong direction. Another passage that comes to mind in 1 Peter chapter 4 as far as looking at these symptoms, Peter wrote in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Now, when I think about Jesus suffering in the flesh, the first thought that comes to mind is his death on the cross. And that is how Jesus suffered in the flesh, but the application for you and I is different. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What he's referring to here is cutting off the flesh. No longer being a friend with the world. Knowing that that is hostility toward God. And then look at verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, you can't avoid that. No longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. For the, the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. That's the world. That's that mass of humanity that stands in opposition to the plan and purpose of God, even though that's not their intention. You have to, you have to drill down. Who's behind all that? It's Satan. It's the demons of Satan. The world is under the influence of Satan and his demons, whether they realize it or not. But we have the curtains pulled back by the revelation of God so that we know it's happening. Then he goes on and he says, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You know what distresses me? Every time I get to talking about this, we get into this discussion about what's acceptable and what's unacceptable from the standpoint of social drinking. 
Have you ever noticed that? We, we start looking at verses that, that speak about drunkenness, drunkenness and drinking parties. And, oh, well, let's, let's talk about what is and is not acceptable. Why are we doing that? Why, are we, why do we have to go to that place? Why can't we just accept the fact that there's a right, that, that there's a wrong, and there's an evil influence in the world? And if we take that step over that line, now we're a friend of the world. What does a drinking party look like? Well, how much drinking has, has to be uh, going on? How much drinking is, is too much drinking? Well, do you really want to ask that question? <laughs> In all this, verse 4, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. You've got to suffer in the flesh. You're going to live in the flesh, but you're going to have to suffer in the flesh if you don't want to be a friend of the world. Look for the symptoms. Look for the symptoms. What's the solution? We've identified the problem. Well, let's go back to James chapter 4. James gives us the solution. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice he doesn't say here, resist your ungodly friends. He drills down. He drills down to the source of the problem. Your ungodly friends are under the influence of the devil. Your ungodly friends are under the influence of Satan. Your responsibility, if you want to overcome friendship with the world, is to resist the devil. And when you do, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and when you do, he will draw near to you. Now let's back up and look at the verses surrounding the ones that we just read. Verse 4 is the focal point. Verse 5, Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. As we get to the solution, we have to realize and recognize something that is embodied within the Scripture. And you will not find that statement in any specific verse in the Bible. Well, then why does he say that the, the Scripture speaks of this? It's because it's the message of the Scriptures. You were created in the image of God. God gave his Son to die so that you would be forgiven of your sins. God jealously desires the Spirit that he has put within us. God wants you. God wants to have fellowship with you. God wants you to know him. He wants you to be separate, to come out from the midst of the world and be joined into covenant fellowship with him. And he proved that. He proved that love. He proved that desire when he sacrificed his son on the cross. Do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Now, when you look at that, well, he, he desires the spirit which is made to dwell in us that's a, that's a big one. That's, that's something that's very challenging. And yes, this is not easy. 
It's like we tell our kids all the time, if it's easy, then it's not worth the time. If it's easy, then everybody would be doing it. Do you want the path of easy? The path of easy is friendship with the world. It's easy to be a friend with the world. You don't even have to go far to find it. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's in social media. And, and most of your friends are probably consumed with it. But, verse 6, he gives a greater grace. God wants to extend to you unmerited favor so that you can pull yourself out of this friendship with the world. He is opposed to the, the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That leads into verse 7. Submit, therefore, to God. The solution is humility. It's a recognition of dependence upon God. It's a recognition of a dependence upon God's provision. It's a recognition that God is the potter and I am the clay. He, ha he has created me. He has the right to dictate how I live my life. And if God says do this, I do it. If God says don't do this, I don't do it. Otherwise, I become a friend of the world. Submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who are the double-minded? They're the ones who think that they can be friends of the world and not be an enemy of God. They're the ones who don't give recognition to the fact that evil companions corrupt good morals. They're the ones who think that they can live like the world and not be influenced by the world. Be miserable and mourn and weep. See sin for what it is. See this friendship with the world for what it is. Being hostile toward God. Being an enemy of God. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. His grace will give you the strength that you need to pull yourself out of this influence, this influence of the world. That's the solution. Much of the solution is grounded in knowledge. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the knowledge that... Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The solution is to know that. And the solution is to not love the world. I think that's why he used the word friendship. Because we love our friends. We love our friends. When the world has become my friend, then I love the world. And the commandment is, do not love the world. And then in Colossians chapter 3, when Paul was writing to the church at Colossae, this is a familiar passage, a commandment that we see quite often, but we need to put it in the context of this, this thought of being an enemy of God. He says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For if you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, 
When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Being a friend of the world doesn't put us in that place. It puts us in a position of hostility toward God. It makes us an enemy of God if we're not setting our mind on things above. We've got to get out of this world. And we've got to think, not physically, but put our minds in heaven. It really boils down to a decision, doesn't it? And what is the decision? I'm going to love God with everything. My heart, my soul, and my mind. Now, you'll talk to people who will tell you all day long that they love God. But look at their lives. Athletes. I heard an interview on sports radio the other day with a well-known athlete, and he was talking about how much he loved God. Every other sentence, he talked about God. But then you look at his life and it's a, it's a moral wreck. It's easy to just say, I love God. But that's not what Jesus was talking about here. He was talking about really doing it. Really loving God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. And if you love God, where is your mind? It's in heaven. You're, you're setting your mind on things above. It's a decision. I'm just going to put him first. I, I'm tired of struggling with this thing. I, I, I'm, I'm tired of not being where I know I need to be. I'm just going to put God first. And you know what's going to happen? When you do that, everything's just going to fall in place. That's why Jesus said, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. Everything will line up in your life once you put God first. And a part of that, involves your behavior, but it involves your association. Hebrews 3, verse 12, going back to the example of the Jews who were not allowed to enter into the promised land. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Who are those who fall away? Christians who become friends with the world. Christians who become hostile toward God, who are enemies of God. What do they do to pull themselves out of that? They surround themselves with other Christians who are fighting the same battle and want to be in the right place. Encourage one another, verse 13, day after day, as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often do you go to church? Well, if you go every time the doors are open, you go two times a week. Where does the day after day come into play? Encourage one another day after day. That's Christians who have relationships with other Christians outside of a local assembly, who are spending time with other Christians. And again, we do say this to our, our children all the time. Your friends will make or break you. Well, adults, those who James is writing to, 
your friends will make or break you. How much time do you spend? How much association do you have with other Christians? Chapter 10 of this same book, beginning at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Well, I can do that alone. We'll read on. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You can't do that alone. Not forsaking our own assembling together. You can't do that alone. The word together says together. An assembly is an assembly. Whether it's a Wednesday night assembly or a Sunday morning assembly. He doesn't say do not neglect our, or forsake our assembling together on Sunday morning. We're just as assembled on Wednesday night as we are Sunday morning. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's a decision. I need that encouragement. I want to encourage others because I know there are others who need that encouragement. I referenced 1 Corinthians 15 earlier. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 Paul writes, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You're not going to be the exception. Do not be deceived. And then in verse 34, he said, let us, he said, um, yeah, verse 32. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the thinking of the world. Those who don't believe in God don't believe in a resurrection. If there's no resurrection, if there's nothing after death, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You, let, you listen to that long enough. It's going to affect the way you think. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning for some have no knowledge of God. If I spend all my time with people who don't know God, they're going to influence me. It's a decision to spend time with people who do know God. Spend time with people who are going to encourage me. Spend time with people who are trying to do their best to please God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's a decision. I'm going to do what's right. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You can overcome friendship with the world, but you've got to make a decision that you're going to keep the commandments. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You're going to have to make a decision to build your faith. Verse 19 of this same chapter. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Do you know that? Act on that information. Make a decision based upon the fact that you know you are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So decide that you're no longer going to be a friend of the world. Enough of that, and you'll become hostile toward God. You'll become hostile toward God. You'll become an enemy of God, or you'll look just like everybody else. Maybe you'll still be successful. 
Maybe your life will still go on. You, you, you may not get struck by lightning. But something's taking place that you know has made you an enemy of God. You adulteresses, James writes. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? That's something to think about. Let's go to God now in prayer with Nick Lapius. Let's go to God in prayer.